Yo, what's up, guys? It's JB here. Today is Saturday, August 8th, 2009. Uh, the time now is around uh, 10 o'clock or so on uh, Saturday night, and we have Apollo Robbins on the line. Apollo, can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Hey, guys. Beautiful. Uh, so what we did tonight is we had a roundtable discussion, which for those of you unfamiliar means uh, you guys were able to ask questions. Uh, we got several hundred questions in here in this forum thread tonight uh, for Apollo, and we're going to get to as many of them as we possibly can try to pick out the best questions and uh, and go from there. So um, I thought a good question to get started uh, with Apollo tonight was the first question, which was submitted by Jack Webster in the D.C. area, I'm guessing Washington, D.C. And uh, he asks you, uh, what got you started in pickpocketing, scamming, magic, this genre? What's your basic uh, backstory for those of you unfamiliar? Well, you know, I think it's a combination. I became interested in magic when I was a teen, about 14, 15 years old. But uh, scamming and cons was uh, probably more related to how I grew up with my family. My uh, half-brothers were involved in some crimes. Pickpocketing was one of those things. Uh, it's not the pickpocketing that we would think of in magic, which is the clever watch seals or anything. Instead, they would use razor blades and cut people's pockets open. And it was more distracting people and just stealing their bags. But I grew up exposed to that. Didn't get involved in it, but uh, it, it kind of grew me up in a split household with uh, being exposed to that, my dad being a very conservative minister. Uh, I guess I picked up the morals, and uh, magic was a good outlet for that. It allowed me to adopt uh, the sleight-of-hand entertainment aspect of pickpocketing and use it as a productive form. When did, you, when did that begin? When did you start using this as kind of an entertainment outlet or entertainment medium? Uh, right on the line, when I was about 13, 14, I uh, was dabbling a little bit with shoplifting. And then this uh, guy found me in a magic shop. I was trying to figure out what a thumb tip was. And uh, this old man started doing uh, some amazing sleight of hand for me. And I was very egotistical at that age. I thought I knew everything. I was thinking, if he can do this, I can do this. And he turned me on to uh, Bobos. He said, listen, he says, you can buy a trick in here, walk out, you'll be able to do it instantly. He says, or you can buy this book, and it's going to take you three or four years to get started. And he turned me on to Bobo's and then Stars of Magic right after that. And Stars of Magic was, is, is still a phenomenal book, but in the back it has a watch deal. And I knew things about pockets, you know, how to get in and out of like, front pockets, back pockets, and pant pockets, but I'd never seen anything like a watch deal before. So uh, very soon, about a year and a half into doing Magic, I was uh, incorporating, uh, putting things in people's pockets and taking them out real quick. And I found it at a whole different realm. But it wasn't until I moved to Vegas a number of years later that uh, I solidified that pickpocketing was my industry and, and my sp particular field that I was going to go into. I think that's an interesting thing you just said as well about uh, pickpocketing not just being about taking things out of people's pockets, but especially in your entertainment complex, putting things in people's pockets, which is just as eerie. It's people you know, putting things in someone's personal space and stuff. Um, yeah, I think it's more of an application to your listeners. It's probably something they can use even more than they could stealing stuff. That's, uh, right, right. Um, the next question I'm seeing here is Jake the Snake Magic. His post number is nine. Uh, he's he's basically saying, uh, you know, we have a lot of people that are inspired by Copperfield, David Blaine, whoever. Um, street magic, close-up magic cards. Um, was there ever ever a specific or a certain magician who did the same style as magic and performance as you, pickpocketing, that inspired you? So where I think he's saying, whereas David Blaine, David Copperfield might inspire some of the uh, current youth of magic, was there a particular performer that inspired you to do the style of performance you do? Uh, you know, there's somebody I found after I'd already been involved in pickpocketing for a while that I still look up to quite a bit. He's passed on now, but his name was Bora. 
you can find videos of them on YouTube. Uh, but back when I was interested, there were no videos of him. I just heard legends and read about him and things and tried to find anything I could on him. But Bora was a performer who performed in the circuses, and he didn't use any setups. He uh, was very uh, much a gentleman. He wasn't very aggressive and all over somebody when he was stealing. He would just step into their space, step out, and it was like watching a, a dance whenever he stole. Um. It's a good question from Brett. He's in New York City. Um, have you ever performed your pickpocketing demonstration to a cop? Yeah, many times. Uh, cops, uh, you know, another side of my business, I, I do security elements. I do talks for police departments, uh, usually on diversion and theft, tour safety issues. Uh, when I do, uh, that's one of the things that usually requires I'll do something for cops. Uh, not different, not just police, but, uh, you Secret know, government service. officials. Yes. <laughs> the Secret <laughs> Service is more of a, a notorious story. But, yeah, they have a similar mentality usually in that they a lot of times believe that they've been trained, uh, so they've been trained what to look for. Uh, but it doesn't prepare them for the style of pickpocketing that I do, which is a performance base, because they're trained to watch for uh, what they call the matador, where you're draping a jacket over uh, on the arm and how uh, pickpockets cluster together in crowds. They're not trained for somebody who's going to tell them that they're going to steal from them and then steal from them. Uh, here's a interesting question I didn't really thought of. It's from a guy named Sherlock. Uh, his location is TBD, to be determined, so I guess he doesn't know where he is. Um, he says, in terms of gender, um, how would you pickpocket women? Um, I think he's asking, though, I think the heart of the question is, is it easier to pickpocket one gender versus another? Does one, is, or traditionally males, easier to pickpocket than female or vice versa? Is there any psychological, uh, statistical thing you've noticed or, or know about of, with that line? I don't know that I have statistic numbers, but, uh, yeah, they, you know, I tend to go more after men. One opportunity is that they have more pockets and more opportunities of things that you can do. Uh, I tend, tend to steer away from customized jewelry like bracelets and uh, necklaces and those types of things because it can really steer you into some serious problems uh, when you're taking jewelry and it's missing a fitting or uh, certain liabilities. Uh, with Men, it's usually easier. Uh, you know, with me touching them, it's uh, a little bit more uh, comfortable to get inside of their space. Uh, when I do it with women, I try to keep as much of a respect and a conditioned response to when I touch them. Uh, as far as keeping wide open arches when I approach to the side, uh, letting them lead how much, how close they want to get in when I do do a steal. Well, usually limits it to something like a, a watch steal or something like that for the woman. Um, this is jumping around a lot. I realize that, but this is a question that was uh, question number seventeen, submitted by Magic Man with a K. Um, he's saying, uh, "What's the story with Leverage?" I think is what he's saying. His name's Nate. Um, how did you get involved with Leverage? Uh, if you guys want to see more about Leverage, you can obviously there's a link to it in this forum page. Um, and also, if you go to Apple.com uh, under Final Cut, you'll see they talk a little bit about the production process for it. Um, Apollo, I guess, can you talk a little bit about what you do on that show? I think that would get them. Give them an idea on, on what the relationship is there. Yeah, Leverage is uh, a show that's kind of like the A-Team slash Mission Impossible. It's all about a group of con artists uh, that are working as modern-day Robin Hoods. And uh, it was uh, a nice synergy. It, the producers and directors had seen a short film that I worked on in Canada, and they liked some of what they called the zoom-zoom scenes that I created where I choreographed scenes for the actors and uh, on ways to do hustles and steals. 
and they asked me to do a workshop for the writers and come in and teach them uh, just some elements, like some structures of what's the normal outline of a con, a long con, a short con, and how do they usually fall, and what are some typical resources for that. I did a workshop, and then they asked me to become a regular uh, consultant for the show. So I became what my official title is, technical advisor. And uh, I get their scripts uh, once each week, and I'll go through the different phases, and I'll make suggestions for the writers, and then specific scenes that they need some help with, uh, like on uh, pickpocketing or diversion or maybe a con aspect or something with hacking. And I use the guys that I know that are in the similar veins uh, to also be a resource. And uh, it's kind of evolved. And they just offered me a new role in the show that is coming up October, sorry, August 26th. I'll be acting uh, debut character in the show. Uh-huh. Yes. yes. So August 26th. So yeah, but uh, can you talk a little bit about how that, uh, how the exact relationships works? I think this is interesting just for them to know um, of how, you, like, so what he's talking about, if you guys were didn't understand what he just said, is uh, they'll send him the script and he has to choreograph the the movement and the scene. And these are the scenes like a slow motion of a pickpocketing scene, stealing a, uh, a wallet or a watch or whatever from someone on the show. But uh, how do you then translate that to the actors. You're not there always. You're there sometimes, um, but mm -hmm. not, not always. How do you teach these actors how to execute that and then it, have it turn out as well as it looks on the show? Well, they usually the thing I try to avoid, like, when we first started with the, the writers, they would send me a piece and say, so-and-so, uh, or Parker spills a drink on so-and-so as she does a steal, or she bumps into them. And so my notes for them were, no bumping into and no uh, spills. If you think that that's going to happen, call me, and that's when I come in. Got it. So it's kind of like, kind of like a scene like you would for uh, what Jackie Chan would have to do, where it was a contextual scene where maybe I got to use some, like chopsticks or something inside of a restaurant, a rose for a salsa dance. Church. And the come church up with was a, way a cool one. Like the which one? The church scene was a cool one too. You're talking oh, about yeah. before. Yeah, with the pews where they're. Uh, so there's also visual elements to that. What's visually interesting as well as the steals. So I'll I'll write back some notes to them, and then if I can be there with the actors, I'll teach them directly before the shot. Spend a couple of days with them. Uh, if it's something where it's uh, Timothy Hutton's character Nate, I can double as his hands on the show. So I'll dress up as him, and I've done that a number of times where I come in as him. And then other times, uh, I'll just send them little video clips and give them suggestions and be on call. So they'll call me in between takes, and I give them tips on how they can run it. Uh, there's another question from Jake the Snake Magic, his post number is 29. Um, Apollo, you're involved with a lot of, uh, you, you know a lot of real pickpockets in terms of not, uh, I mean, by real, I mean non-legitimate uh, pickpockets and other people in that kind of vein of work. This guy's asking, uh, since the time you've started performing pickpocketing st until now, has anyone ever pickpocketed you? Uh, you know, just for jokes, uh, I think it's uh, something uh, that people like to do, you know, like just stealing a scarf out of a breast pocket. When I was at the Magic Castle, somebody stole the scarf out of a pocket one time just for laughs. Uh, the fun thing in that, uh, on that coincidental one thing, I happened to figure it out. And I figured it out afterwards after the guy had already stolen it because his friend was looking over and they were smirking. So I came back through and I stole, I think it was his cell phone or something out of his jacket. And uh, while I was talking to him, and he had no concept of it, but when he came back and was gloating about the scarf, I uh, gave him back his cell phone. <laughs> it worked as a fun thing. But, you know, I, I, one thing, I definitely believe that I could be a victim of pickpocketing. It's not that I can't. I probably have more of a paranoia about it than most people do because it's what I think about all the time. 
but uh, I definitely believe it's possible, and I think that there's some very highly skilled pickpockets on the illegitimate side of it, and uh, I just haven't uh, had an opportunity to uh, be stolen from, uh, unless I put myself in that situation. Like I was in Spain and had a couple of uh, uh, gypsy ladies that were doing a scam, and I just wanted to fill them, lock a frame up on me, so I stepped into one and, and let them try to steal from me. Yeah, I think uh, what you're talking about also is it's not always about technical skills. Like with, with what you're doing, people know you're about to pickpocket them. Um, some a lot of the time, not not all the time. With real pickpockets, in terms of actually stealing things illegally, um, a lot of the time it's not about using misdirection uh, as much as it is about using a razor blade and cutting the damn thing out of someone's wall, you know, back pocket, stuff like that. Um, where it's not necessarily about they don't care about the technical skill, they don't care about not uh, ruining someone's watch or not ruining someone's clothes in the process. They're just about getting the wallet. So stuff like that might be harder to detect than what you do per se because you're actually doing it in a legitimate fashion. Um, yeah, and I also use uh, talking as a misdirection, so I'll use uh, verbal uh, distraction, uh, the little pattern interrupts when I'm talking to them. But when uh, somebody's stealing on the street, they used to have a term called kissing the dog, which means they don't want to look you in the face when they steal from you because they don't want you to remember their face. So kissing the dog, uh, talking, obviously, you'd be kissing the dog, so they want to keep you out of that. Um, so they, they look for other forms of distraction. And the real skill set, uh, one term for it is called a grip sense, is the ability to know where your attention is. And I think that's a great skill for magicians to learn as well uh, because they, more than sleight of hand or anything that they use, it's that ability to really measure, is this person locked into what they're doing? So like if you're on the cell phone and you're arguing with your girlfriend, you're riding up an escalator at the mall, uh, you know, their ability to lock in how dedicated you are to that instrument uh, really allows them to steal from you more than anything else. Um, we talked about misdirection a lot and uh, that goes into, or a lot of what you do revolves around misdirection and manipulation of someone's body language or your body language and your movement, etc. Uh, there's a post in here, number 39, by Kirby, who's saying, what knowledge from your experience can you give us that might improve our misdirection, such as the arch hand movements rather than straight lines from your Magic of Consciousness Symposium, etc.? So is there any other tips that you could offer um, similar to that um, that you've taken from pickpocketing that may apply to just misdirection in general or just overall concepts perhaps? Well, that arch that they were talking about, uh, that was an eye movement that I noticed when I was performing at the Caesar Magical Empire. When I was coming out of somebody's pocket, uh, if I did a half circle, uh, their eyes would instinctually just follow it, versus if I did a straight line, their eyes would follow it for a second and snap back to my other hand. So if I was doing a, a type of steal where I'd be stealing with the hand that was closest to them, I had to, uh, I had to think about whether I was doing the arch or not. That same type of thing in magic would apply if you're doing like a bottom palm off of a deck or a cop off the bottom of a deck, that now as you bring the deck away, if you uh, slowly turn the deck over and just kind of do a flip as you arch it forward, it gives a lot more of a, uh, a sexy move that draws the eye instead of just a straight line. If you were to just move the deck straight forward six inches and set it on the table, it will draw the attention a little bit more just by doing a slight arch. I'm not talking about exaggerated big half circles, but just a small little movement. And it makes your eyes lock into what they call a smooth pursuit or a tracking feature where you want to chase that movement versus just snapping back and forth. And I think that's the biggest thing. If you understand that there's only two movements that your eyes have, that's going to help you so much with magic because the eyes only have two movements, one where they chase things 
Uh, it's called pursuits, and the other are called saccades, where they just snap back and forth between points. And it's easy for somebody to catch you if they're doing saccades, where they're snapping back and forth. What's nice is when it snaps back and forth between two points, you're also blind in between, so you can't really see what's happening. Uh, an example of that is an example that Juan Tamariste did, where he was uh, doing a crossing the gaze demonstration, and he would show the audience the palmed coin as he crossed the gaze, and you couldn't see it because you weren't processing the information. It's pretty cool if you look it up. Yeah, I think uh, no matter. I mean, remember we were at the was the DefCon convention last week, and Apollo was after lunch with a group of these security professionals. No doubt, security professionals. Uh, they asked Apollo to perform for them, and these these are the guys that you would think would not be very easily fooled. Uh, these guys were, knew he, what he was going to do. They know Apollo very well, but still, 100 percent of the time, every routine he was doing, it, there's just a limit to like I guess how much you're. Uh, mind can process in terms of the specific misdirections that Apollo uses, the body movements that he does that you just you you don't perceive it, or if you if the more you try to perceive it, the like actually the easier it is for for you um, to to accomplish. Because I don't think there was a single instance with you know your uh, the coin on shoulder routine that you were performing for those guys, etc., where any of them acted any different than any normal spectator would. It's just like the more you try to look for certain things, your body, your body language um, as the performer overcomes that because you know how people act. I think that's a unique thing I've seen when you're performing. Um, well, thank you. I think that the ability to listen to how they react, and not verbally or audibly, but uh, basically kind of moderate. I used to say it, that it's like surfing their attention because you can't really control somebody's attention, but you can surf it. And it's kind of like a wave. And you can kind of see where they're going. And the biggest thing that I think we could do as magicians is to be more interactive like that, where rather than being so caught up on what we're doing and how our angles are. I mean, uh, I'll probably rock the boat by saying this, but I don't think angles are as important as knowing where someone's attention is. Because if their attention is kind of numb a little bit, you can flash completely to them. They're not going to see a thing. So it's a much higher skill to be able to develop an awareness of where their attention is. Yeah, like in your the clip uh, from Mondo Magic, I think it was with you performing on the street. If you notice, you're you uh, Apollo, or you're doing like five things at once. You're taking a watch and a ring and whatever the hell else, and the wallet and the <laughs> cell phone, whatever the hell else you're you're stealing in that clip. But at the same time, you are listening to them. You're asking the spectators questions. You're not lo- all too often you see magicians locked into their patter. Like, it, have you ever seen a ghost? And they they go straight into their patter. That's too, like a reciting a poem, and they're not actually involved interacting with the spectator. You are talking to this woman about her wedding, her ring. What kind of ring is it? Uh, is this your you're, you're interacting with them? You're asking them questions. You're you're having a normal conversation with them as you're executing these moves, which I guess takes a lot more um, mastery and confidence in what you're doing. But at the same time, you're not really worried about the moves. You're not thinking about you know how you're exactly stealing the watch or stealing the wallet. It's just happening. You're interacting with the audience. I think that makes it uh, much more deceptive and obviously more entertaining. Well, thank you. I, I think you know technique to me isn't as important as... Uh, really knowing where their attention is. Uh, it sounds redundant me saying that so many times, but that that tape that you're just referring to, that one on YouTube with uh, Mondo Magic, originally they told me that that was going to be cut up as a uh, montage and they were going to edit it out so you weren't going to see all the uh, behind-the-scenes work. But if you watch it, I mean, you can see it's all happening real-time. 
so the first time, I mean, it may seem like it's really fast, but if you watch, I spend a lot of time with my hands behind my back, uh, just BSing with them and trying to, uh, you know, it's not that I'm just talking, but I'm really locking into where their attention is because I see magicians sometimes take too much time BSing and trying to fill in some space while they're doing something. But when I'm asking them questions, I'm really monitoring to see, are they still investing in this? Are they really locked into what I'm saying? Or do I need to go a different direction? And I'll just take full advantage of that. Like I take the guy's pack of cigarettes out of his pocket, take all the cigarettes out of it, close the cigarette box back, and then put it back in his pocket. And I'm just literally doing it. And there's nothing, no technique or anything. I'm just paying attention to what he's thinking about. Um, this, uh, we've got time for a few more questions here. I want to make sure we get to this one because I see it asked a lot. Um, this is by Crazy Man with a K, post number 45. He says, uh, what are some resources for getting started into pickpocketing you would recommend? Are there any books, DVDs, etc. Um, off the top of your head? A uh, couple books. Uh, the one for me when I got started out was uh, Jim Ravel's Theatrical Pickpocketing. It's great. talks about touching, conditioning. It's uh, really good. And then the other one is Ricky Dunn's book, which is uh, fantastic. I think it's fantastic after Jim Ravel's book. I think that you really should understand what Ravel's saying first. Uh, if you're looking to add it into performance and actually do it for a show, I think Ricky's book is the way to go. It's called Professional Stage Pickpocket. There's uh, limited DVDs. Uh, James Friedman did a VHS video a long time ago, and then he remade that as a DVD. I think it's called Steal the Show. But James Friedman has, covers more like pocket steals. He does a lot of what are called like put take uh, techniques, where you pretend to put it back in their pocket and you take it back out. That's one way to go. And then uh, Chappie Brazil uh, did the watch steal video. I, I'm more of a fan of James Friedman's because I, I think he's a very clear teacher and he covers a wide range. Uh, Chappie has a great performance style, but you can't emulate just him. I'm not sure that his style translates into uh, the personality of everybody else. But it was very successful for him. And then uh, two other books, just if they, uh, these aren't related to pickpocketing, but the misdirection will help you, is uh, Daryl Fitzke's book called Magic by Misdirection. It's part of the Fitzke trilogy. It'll teach you the most you can learn about misdirection, more than you would want to know. And then Tommy Wander has some notes on misdirection too. So that, I think those are great resources. Another uh, FAQ frequently asked question we've got tonight from Simon Bernard, post number 46 in Quebec. Um, and this is interesting. I've been wondering to uh, ask you this as well. This is one of the most common questions we got tonight. Uh, how does one practice watch stealing, pickpocketing, etc.? How do you practice that without uh, risking death? Um, how do you, how, like, you know, what does it take to go up to someone for the first time and practice this stuff? How do you, I mean, do you do this with friends or how did you initially, before you had, I guess, the confidence to really do this and knowing that you're going to get away with it, at least the majority of the time, how do you practice this stuff? Uh, you know, some of the techniques, like just the basic uh, jacket steal and learning how to open the jackets, you can practice at home with a friend just to kind of get the blocking of it. But to really understand it, as we've been kind of saying a lot of times, it's about listening to where the person's attention is. So that's more important than the technique. You can put your whole hand into somebody's pocket instead of just, there. you know, there's different uh, specific techniques with the way you go in with fingers that spread the pocket open that are less likely to feel things. But you can go in with somebody's whole hand if you really know how to uh, monitor their attention. So that you really have to do from performing. If you have a regular spot, uh, I think restaurants are a great way to go, especially when you're getting started out. Uh, for learning watch deals, incorporating a magic routine that doesn't live or die based on uh, just doing watch deal. I'll give you a routine that's on Theory 11 right now that would be perfect for a watch deal. It uses an idea, 
that Chappie used, uh, uh, actually Charles Bach, his friend, uh, they would do the crazy man's handcuffs and they would pretend to point the rubber band stretched between the person's fingers at, like they're shooting at somebody as they would steal the watch. It's a great cover for a watch steal. When you're first starting out, it's a really good idea. It's something that wasn't uh, nobody had thought about when I was young. Uh, so for you guys starting out, if you just want to play with a watch steal, uh, you know, that rubber band is a great move to go. And you can go into uh, Daniel Garcia's new routine on Symphony with the, the dollar bills. Uh, Jacob's Ladder is what you're talking about. Yeah. That's, I mean, that solid, strong effect afterwards, whether you get the watch or not, and it doesn't matter. You've got the, if you get the watch, you've got a bonus at the end, and you can find a way of producing that in. But start with just stretching out the rubber band between their fingers, go into the Jacob's ladder, and then afterwards you have the watch still if you want to as a backup. Gotcha. We got uh, two more questions I'll get to tonight before we call this a wrap. Uh, this is an interesting question. This is obviously from someone that's watched your work a lot. Um, question is submitted by a member with the username Reaper, which is kind of scary and creepy at the same time. Post number is 50 and his name is Lane. Um, he talks a lot. Of, he obviously has read the Mental Floss article, which if you guys haven't read, check our news section. It came out last week. Um, but the heart of his question is he, he talks about how you use misdirection, sleight of hand, and then he says, I see you approach spectators from the side to help you control their attention. How long did it take you to develop that technique of approaching someone by the side, and what did you do before that method of control? Or is that something you read, or is that a widely used uh, method? It's not a widely used method. Uh, it's something, actually, Bora and a lot of the guys would usually approach from the front when they would steal. Um, uh, I used it and developed it while I was at the Magical Empire after reading a book by Edward T. Hall. Uh, it's called A Hidden Dimension, and it talks about proximity zones and personal space. And when I realized uh, from reading that that the space was smaller on the sides next to their shoulders, and it's the longest out in the front, um, also, there's an animal behavior like dogs where you break eye contact as you go into their space. So it's easier to be kind of this buddy angle of standing beside them to get inside their space to steal. So I started using that, and I used it for five years while I was performing at the Magical Empire doing a, uh, I guess we estimated I stole like, I don't know, over 100,000 people during that time. Uh, but it was a lot of practice, you know, and that was the style I developed that worked for me. Uh, that was consistent with a wide range from different cultures. And one last question um, I'll take here. It's not actually from any of the posts, but I saw it in a lot of the posts. Um, and you mentioned the Caesars, uh, your performances at Caesars, Magical Empire, for a number of years, and that's what made me think of it because we just talked about this last week. Uh, the questions that I saw were asking, what do you do when something goes wrong? Has you ever, have you ever had a pickpocketing performance go awry and they either A, think you're really stealing from them and you're not doing this as entertainment or they don't they get the wrong idea or hell, they catch you in, with your hand in their pocket. Um, what do you do in that situation? Uh, maybe if, if you want to tell them the story about uh, the Caesars uh, experience in that time or anything like that, what do you do when a performance goes awry? Well, uh, pickpocketing can go wrong uh, in a very severe way that magic usually doesn't. Because if you do a bad card trick and you get uh, caught, eh, it's not that uh, much trouble for you. Pickpocketing can uh, uh, ruin your reputation, put you into a jail sentence very easily. Even if you don't steal something coming out of somebody's pocket, if they saw your hand go in their pocket and they accuse you of stealing something they usually don't have, there's basically ways that it breaks down. You never steal from somebody who's incompetent. Or, and that doesn't mean unintelligent. That can be somebody who uh, has Alzheimer's, somebody who's elderly, somebody who's been drinking or drunk. Uh, don't steal from them. Avoid it. Because they can accuse you and uh, they won't remember things and they'll feel legitimate about their accusation. 
Then the other approach is that people will accuse you of stealing because they're trying to financially get ahead. They may start with a joke like, yeah, I had $500 in my pocket or I had a Rolex watch. And there's lines that you can use for that. But then sometimes there's the group of people that find that there's a, they think there's an angle to make money on that. Um, the style that I've developed of telling them before I steal from them uh, rules that out. I think if you do uh, magic, it helps cushion that, where they understand that you're a performer and it's not, uh, it's not as dangerous. My first day at the Magical Empire when I was stealing, uh, I shook a few people's hands, and at the end of the set, a couple had accused me of stealing the rings from the lady. I hadn't even touched her. I didn't even shake her hands. But I can't just say you're wrong. And uh, the way I approached it, uh, they said they're going to go talk to security, and I suggested wait. Don't walk off away from me because if you do, and I do have your rings, then I could hide them somewhere. So I was trying to look at it from their perspective, and they were very upset. They were very mad. The guy practically wanted to punch me. So I said, eh, let's go to security together because I want you guys to find your rings, and I also don't want you to be left open-ended thinking that I have them and may not be able to prove it. So let's go to security together. So we went to security together. Security ended up stripping me. Uh, rubber glove search, the whole uh, the whole thing. And uh, the lady left and her husband stayed there while I was getting searched. And she went up to her room and she found the rings were sitting on the sink in her room. But that was just the beginning. Over five years I was accused, I don't know, I would say easily 50 times. Um, and I had probation where I wasn't allowed to steal for like six months. I had various different things that I evolved a style. And they got me around those. But really, you know, Chappie stole as part of a magic routine, uh, but I've never, before me, I mean, in all my research with pickpocketing, there hasn't been a, a close-up pickpocket performer. I think that's, that's something that's important to note because it's dangerous. It's a liability. And on stage, there, you have less liability. You're being observed by an audience. You can videotape it. But as a close-up pickpocket performer, it becomes, uh, it, as outside of a watchdog, when you're going into pockets and things, you're taking some serious risk. I think uh, it's a great thing if you choose to add it to your toolbox of skills, but pickpocketing you can use to create amazing effects. Uh, imagine something like you steal somebody's watch, take out the battery, put the watch back together, and put the watch back on their wrist. They don't need to know that you ever stole the watch. You just now do a spellbound move and change the coin into the battery. That's going to erupt and create such a bafflement in their brain that you can't do a traditional magic. And that's why I think pickpocketing really could be used by your listeners. Or, you know, putting a card in someone's pocket, in someone's wallet. You know, it's not, you're not stealing their wallet, you're stealing their wallet. Yes, put a card in the wallet, put the wallet back in their pocket. They don't, in their mind, the wallet never left their pocket, but now you've got the signed selected card in the wallet. So it's, it's reverse pickpocketing. You're injecting something into their pocket versus taking something out. I use those a lot, uh, those types of things. And uh, one thing for that specific one, if you're going to do that, just put a double back card in their wallet. So uh, you do that before you ever begin the trick. You steal their wallet if you can do that, and then you put the double back card in. Now when it comes back around to it, uh, you have them open up the wallet. They see the card, you pull it out, and now you turn it over on the deck. Uh, it gives a time delay that they can, from the time they sign the card, you've never touched them. And that makes it even more impossible. And we have one other question tonight that uh, was submitted by a text message. Um, and it's obviously someone that knows you and who your friends are because they're asking, I guess, your relationship with Chris Kenner. And the question is, is Chris Kenner as cool as he seems? Um, I should preface this question with it was submitted by Chris in Australia. <laughs> Ever since I saw him doing coins and cylinders on his Facebook video, I've had a total new respect for his coolness. <laughs> 
Absolutely. All right. On that note, um, I will wrap this up. So thank you to Apollo and uh, for answering the questions tonight. And obviously, thank you to all of the members out there from everywhere in the world uh, for asking them. I think we had a great discussion tonight. If you guys have more questions, um, feel free to, to chime in in the same form thread. And I will try to have Apollo drop in and answer at his uh, next convenience. But for tonight, uh, that is a wrap. So thank you, Apollo. And uh, well, thank you. we'll chat with you guys soon. All right, man. Thanks.